0: Hi, folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat-Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. This week's show is with Tani Prazak, an endurance coach who specializes in optimizing your health and performance at the same time. You're going to learn how to become fat-adapted for endurance sports, how to reduce cortisol and avoid overtraining, and why you should eat more fat, especially if you're an athlete. Before we get to the show, I want to take a quick second to plug our new and improved membership community, the Fat-Burning Tribe. When you start going against the grain and eating real food and exercising differently, incredible things can happen. But do you ever feel like you're going at it alone? People around you might say, hey, how's your new diet going? Why aren't you eating that sandwich like everyone else? Or eating all that fat is going to stop your heart, you know? Well, if the naysayers around you are dragging you down, we've got something special for you. The biggest thing most people are missing when they start transforming their bodies is support from like-minded people. So my wife, Allison, and I decided to create an online community to share our outrageously tasty recipes, fat-burning workouts, and healthy living tips all in one place. We update the members area at least three times a week with a new video, recipe, article, or exclusive giveaway. Every month, Allison and I hop in front of the camera to answer your questions on how to upgrade your health in a world that seems stacked against you. So if you'd like to join us, we've opened up a few spots for you to join for just $1 for your first month. We'll be closing the doors on this offer pretty soon, so don't miss out. Just go to FatBurningTribe.com to sign up. Once again, that's FatBurningTribe.com. We have hundreds of members from all corners of the globe rocking out right now in the tribe, and our community is getting results. Here's the success story from one of our new members, Lulu. In just a couple of weeks, eating the wild diet way, five and a half pounds gone, two inches in my waist and three inches in my hips, out of here. Thanks, Abel and Allison. I know with adding more weights and sprints, I will continue to soar. By the way, if I eat white bread now, I get terrible stomach pains. My body is wanting the good stuff now. Thanks Lulu, so try our wild pumpkin bread instead. It's way better than boring old white bread and you won't get disaster pants. So here are a few goodies we just added to the tribe. A seven minute wild workout video and a handy timer tool where I walk you through the best exercises to tone your body and burn fat. Step-by-step details on how to identify hidden sugar in your food. That's a big one. New ketogenic coffee recipes and a video teaching you how to hand roast your own coffee at home using a few simple tools you probably already have and it's way easier than you think. Also, delicious recipes for smoothies, bone broth, pulled pork sliders, and tons more. This is just a little taste of what you get when you join the tribe. If it sounds like something you want to be a part of or if you have a question for me or my wife, Join today for just $1. You can go to fatburningtribe.com. Go check it out. All right, so on the show with Tani Prazak. She's a holistic endurance coach with a master's in exercise physiology and strength and conditioning. She specializes in working with female athletes to regain health and hormonal balance. After years of giving all of her heart to triathlon and endurance racing, Tani took a step back to optimize overall health and wellness. Tani's journey offers a changing perspective on what it means to be fit. In this show, you'll learn how to fine-tune your nutrition for endurance sports, how to reduce cortisol and avoid overtraining, steps to increase performance without sacrificing your health, why you should eat more fat, especially if you're an athlete, and much more. All right, let's go hang out with Tani. All right, folks, Tani Prezak is a Laguna Beach, California-based holistic coach and host of Endurance Planet, a podcast focused on endurance sports. We're going to hit on a lot of things that I don't usually get to talk about on this show. Tani, I'm so glad you're here.
1: I'm glad too. It's kind of surreal to be seeing your face right now because I'm so used to listening to your show and hearing you talk to all your great people that you have on and it's an honor to be one of those people now.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, it's (laughs) awesome to have you here. You've definitely earned your stripes, I think, at this point.
1: Oh, well, thank you. And it's so, again, it's also funny to be like on the other side of things because usually I'm in your shoes right now, you know, with my like list of things that I'm going to ask and da da da. So I always like being on this end of it though.
0: (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Well, I definitely think that we're going to get into some things that people don't get to hear that much about. Why don't we start though with a little bit about your background, what you've been doing for the past 10 plus years. In the realm of endurance sports specifically, and how diet relates to all of that, your own personal journey, because yeah. there are plenty of ups and downs, and we could talk about all of it.
1: Well, first, without being it, uh, making it too long, it's probably best if people do want to get more information, because I'm going to give you guys like the Cliff Notes version right now. Yeah, uh, I do blog about a lot of this stuff, and this you know dates back. I started my blog back in 2007 or 2008. It's Triton.com. And I've since, you know, as things have evolved, I've gotten even more open about my experiences with diet and, you know, what happens when an endurance athlete takes things too far. So um, (laughs) (laughs) I got into triathlon my senior year of college and I was at San Diego State and I just madly fell in love with that. I'm like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I love this endurance sports world. It's Mm -hmm. everything. And I ended up, you know, making my whole career out of it. I even went on to grad school which wasn't really part of the plan because my undergraduate degree was in journalism, but I went on to grad school to study kinesiology, emphasis in exercise physiology and strength and conditioning with the intention of just building a career out of coaching and, you know, being just everything I could do in this world. Meanwhile, I was racing a ton. I mean, it just everything from sprint triathlons to half Ironmans to full Ironmans, although I was a little like I, I wasn't so quick to jump into a lot of full Ironmans because mm-hmm. I knew there's a huge commitment behind that. But for most of my 20s i probably um, was racing on average about once a month and you know at this point in my life i've done 60 70 plus endurance races and I, I i was pretty good for a while i mean i was consistently top 10 if not on the podium in my division every time i raced so then you know there's that added pressure to perform and get better and get faster and i'm a very type a perfectionist kind of gal yeah. and You know, it's just, I had that drive and that motivation to just go for it. And I loved it so much. It was my whole world was just, you know, this triathlon stuff and the endurance stuff. And it was so much fun. But, you know, there comes a point where I think sometimes what started off innocently enough can take a bit of a turn where it's not so fun anymore. Mm -hmm. You're finding that you've reached that point of diminishing returns and performance even starts to decline. And you know as i was getting a little bit older not that i'm using age as an excuse but just you know the wear and tear on the body and everything things started happening and things my my mental state was you know i'd find that i was moodier and more irritable than i should be issues you know like just navigating the tricky world of nutrition and diet and highs and lows there and just all this stuff and uh, worst of all was, you know, my health started to tank. It just, you know, my health started to tank. I knew I felt it. I started getting some of these functional health tests, blood tests and whatnot. But then when I really saw it was actual results on the race course and things just took a quick downward spiral. And I, you know, at that point I was smart enough and had a bigger, you know, sense of all this to know that I needed to step back rather than trying to be stubborn and try to push through. It wasn't something that you could just push through, if you will. And especially, you know, my role as a coach and someone who studied this stuff at a master's level education and everything, you know, knowing how these systems are integrated and work together. So I took a step back and really dived into what was going on. And that, started around 2012 2013 or so and man it's been the best journey since then because it's like this whole new adventure that i'm on yeah kind of reaching that bottom if you will and rebuilding back up and using all these tools and resources without going you know a traditional uh, western medicine approach of you know the band-aid solutions if you will but rebuilding my body holistically, naturally and all that. And now where I'm at right now, thriving and just being so comfortable with the journey that I've been on. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the personal story of the athletic (laughs) history.
0: (laughs) I love it. So if there is one thing that you want people to know about that entire journey and encapsulating it on that, that it's hard to do, right? Putting it all into one mm-hmm. piece of advice to someone who might be interested or in the process of doing endurance training. But what is that that biggest nugget that you've learned?
1: Easy. Listen to your body. Yeah. Listen to your body. Because I think especially in the world of endurance sports, triathlon, um, maybe even more so than running, although running I see it a lot too, we get so addicted to this idea of a training plan and what needs to be done for a certain race or we get so addicted to a certain pace that we need to hold mm-hmm. or a time goal that we've set to you know, finish a particular race in. And again, that was it for me. It was like, okay, I've gone this fast in a half Ironman, now I gotta go faster, faster, faster. When in reality, that can sometimes leave you disconnected from what your body's trying to tell you. So right. that would definitely be the biggest thing.
0: I'm so glad that you said that. So <laughs> what does that, that mean, though? If we could dig it's in really really hard. Like, yeah. that's
1: really hard. So <laughs> just even understanding what that means is, you know, a journey in itself. And, you know, these are topics a lot, what I've really kind of um, honed in my podcast, Endurance mm-hmm. Planet, things that we address a lot these days. And it's funny because a lot of our shows, are Q&A based so we get a lot of our fans and listeners asking all these questions and it's really hard to always give concrete answers because a lot of times we have this ongoing joke where it's like well it depends yeah. you know so listening to your body is going to depend on what your current situation is you know for me i was you know in my late 20s female athlete who had been racing hard for almost a decade and that's going to be very different than, you know, 50 plus year old male who's working full time with kids and family, what his needs are versus what my needs were at that point. So it really comes down to then, I think, like, and why I've really angled my coaching for athletes as holistic Is that there's all these different pieces of the puzzle that we gotta look at. So, you know, I think there's definitely some general red flags and signs that we need to look for and traps that, you know, are pretty common that people fall into. And, you know, nutrition and diet is one of them. So we can certainly talk about that since I know that's a huge theme on your show. But it's also just, you know, like I was saying about myself, like the irritability or, you know, mood swings and things like that, or the inability, like I have, I'm, and I'm sure a lot of athletes can relate to this. Like if I'll go out and do a typical route in my neighborhood or running route, and I know if I'm feeling good, what pace or what heart rate or whatever I should be on any mm-hmm. certain point. And if that's slower, or if I'm forced to walk, or if my heart rate's extremely high and elevated, you know, these are all red flags. And sometimes it's better to walk away from that workout, but then we get stubborn and we don't want to and we yeah. just keep going, you yeah, know? Yeah. Or, you know, with like diet and nutrition also related to like weight loss or weight gain, and you often see athletes, even though they're working out so hard, they they can't even lose weight. And it just, to them, it doesn't make sense. But then that's when I want to start saying, okay, well, let's look on, let's look at what's going on on the inside hormonally, mm-hmm. you know, cortisol levels as again, females present a ton of issues with, The type of balance we need. And, you know, endurance sports, a lot of times it praises, you know, lean body mass and Mm -hmm. low body fat percentage. When in reality, for females, that can be really, really dangerous territory. And again, like I know, like even for me, those borderline numbers, like what's too low for me, Mm -hmm. what's my ideal amount, um, and what's going to make me function optimally in terms of my hormonal balance. So it's, there's so much that goes into it. And they're all interconnected. We can't just, like, separate these things and think that they're all individual and don't have an impact on one another.
0: Right. Well, since since it's such a moving target, especially coaching women or women who are athletes, mm-hmm. but trying to balance that with being healthy at the same time, how do you find that balance?
1: It's probably the most exciting thing to do with an athlete, work female mm-hmm. or not, but this is the most exciting thing because, again, like, my whole thing is wanting to help athletes optimize health and performance, but health first. Because I mean, yeah. that's really like, if we want to have longevity, if we want to feel good decades from now, health has to come first. Performance, and you even see this with the best of the best athletes. You know, they'll have these incredible performances, but, you know, after so many years, that's just not sustainable. Right. Um, and I'm talking like incredible, unrealistic, Seems you know, to the rest of us at least. know performances in sport and everything um so what i like to do is you know in a way it starts with just looking at what the athlete is presenting to begin with so i do a very extensive questionnaire with my athletes and we start just tackling all the things like what is your current hormonal state what has your training been like that potentially led you to come to me feeling like you need to achieve more balance You know, and a lot of times I find that people were kind of ignoring things like heart rate and stuff and training, wanting to train more by how fast they think they should be running. And that's what got them into trouble because there was too much intensity. But, and with, with females too, a lot of it is the psychology. You know, I think we do, and again, I can totally vouch for this myself. Like, there's a lot of pressure we put on ourselves to perform a certain way, to look a certain way, to, you know, act and feel and be a certain way and, you know, be all these perfectionist things. And what it all comes down to is that these are stressors and Mm -hmm. managing the stress in our lives can get tricky and we need to learn how to know what are our triggers and what's the right amount of stress to have because we're never going to get rid of stress. It's just learning how to manage it better.
0: So when you start to see things taking a nosedive and not only is your kind of health going into a tailspin, but your performance is going down, how do you dig yourself out of that? Because a yeah. lot of times, you know, it's, there's so much identity for athletes put into their performance, what they do every day. But if you turn an ankle or you blow a knee or something like that, all of a sudden your identity is gone and you feel <laughs> you feel like you're living in a black hole. So how did you deal with that?
1: I know it's like worse than getting an injury. And there's, you know, a whole process for getting injury. It's, mm-hmm. you know, first is the acceptance Aspect of it, so you know, going back to that year for me, it was you know such a turning point in my athletic career. It was 2013. My fiance, my now fiance, and I were training for Ironman Tahoe, which was an insane race. I had also qualified for the 70.3 World Championships again in mm-hmm. Ironman, so those two races were going to be two weeks apart, and those were in September. And that year, I just put a lot on myself. You know, I was the podcast was growing. So I had more exposure to the endurance world and everything. So that was an added pressure. But then, like I said, I just saw, you know, weird things happening, performance declining. And at those two races, they were just not pretty endings, you know, without going into too much detail. And then after that Ironman, I said, all right, something's got to change here. You know, at, at that point, I had already done the initial stuff of taking the blood tests, the saliva hormonal tests—you know, measuring cortisol, female mm-hmm. hormones, um, all those things. So I had at least ammo to say, okay, it's not just me being crazy in my head. Like, there's absolute evidence here that I am depleted, rock bottom, and why should I keep going on? I mean, why would I just keep fighting what I know needs to change? And so it's, again, it's like with injury, you just need to learn how to accept it Mm -hmm. and then figure out what your next goal needs to be. So what I like to, with with similar athletes, like I did with myself, it's like, okay, well now let's look at this as if it's its own race. It's its own thing that you need to train for and get yourself up to be, um, Because I think that's what we sometimes miss. It's that drive and that desire to have an end goal, like something that we're working toward. When you're not racing and you have the type of personality that needs like a race or something on the calendar to keep you going, kind of get you up out of bed in the morning. Well, if you're finding that all this racing, you love it so much, but now it's working against you. Well, let's, let's, you know, kind of like change our perspective on it. And think about what, how we can make this achieving one's health a goal in itself. And then once I did that for myself, it was like, all right, let's, let's do this. Like, what <laughs> can I do? I, you know, I built up a team of functional health specialists that were really, really willing to just kind of look at me from all angles mm-hmm. and take me in and say, like, here's the test data. Here's what you present. Like, let's fix this. And then my number one thing throughout all of it is doing this stuff naturally, because then, you know, you have these messages, uh, like. Oh, well, you know, just go on birth control to balance out your hormones. And, you know, for a lot of girls experiencing amenorrhea, for example, just use that to stimulate the period. And in mm-hmm. the meantime, eat more and train less. And, you know, these are things a girl does not want to hear. Right. And especially with the birth control, I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked about this with past guests on your show. It's just mm-hmm. not an area that I think most people should go. It's not a solution, it's a band aid.
2: Sure. You
1: know, so figuring these things out, well, why is that? why is a woman's menstruation going away in the first place? Let's figure out the root cause of that. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, you find that it's actually more stress related than it really is about the training. Yeah. Um, and you know, you'd look at the HPA axis and everything. And when your brain is sending signals to shut that process down, there's a reason for it. And it's usually more, again, it's more about, the stress overall, um, even more so in my experience in people than what your current body weight is, because yeah. you could have a girl who's perfectly within a healthy range in terms of her weight and body fat, mm-hmm. but still experiencing, you know, some pretty severe hormonal problems to the point of amenorrhea.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how do you do something that's inherently stressful without too much cortisol or without too much damaging types of stress? So, for
1: in terms of the training and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you got to give some time off just to let go of that compulsive need to exercise the way you once knew. Mm-hmm. For me, it was, you know, process of still being friends with but parting ways with my current coach and realizing that just being told what workout had to be done every day wasn't necessarily a good thing for me at that point. Mm-hmm. And then figuring out ways to still kind of meet that desire to stay active and healthy but in different way. So this is when I started getting into backpacking and stand up paddle boarding and just hiking and walking instead of having to run always, you know, or mountain biking, things like that. Things that are gonna be lower, like have a completely different connotation. It's not necessarily about performance anymore. Now it's just about getting outside and loving and enjoying the process of movement and everything. I'm also a huge fan of strength training. So, you know, kettlebells put me in the gym, like that's always, been something I've really been driven to do um no matter what
0: but Um, I thought that if women lifted weights they start to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger is that
1: is that not true
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know seriously I get that so much can you please just do a quick little bit for women on the the benefits of strength training
1: First of all, let me just say, I wish I could keep on more muscle mass, but it's just not as easy as, you know, just hormonally speaking. We're just, we just don't have that level of testosterone and it's just not going to happen. Um, I think really though, what it comes down to is that, yeah, some women are actually going to maybe bulk up a little bit more, but what happens is that if your diet's sort of out of whack at the same time, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get the desired results that you want. So it's still, it's, it's not just about what you're doing in the gym; it's about what you're doing in the kitchen. Yeah, you know, um, to kind of have that healthy balance. But at the end of the day, unless you're really going hardcore into like a bodybuilding regimen and you're taking God knows what kind of supplements or other things, you know, it's you, you physiologically, you're just it's not going to happen. You know, it just won't. Yeah. I know a few women that are big that are you know firefighters and they're in a profession where their whole life revolves around strength. But I kind of feel like that's almost like a You know, you look at that like chicken or the egg. I think they're kind of a unique beast to begin with. And so their profession chose them. But generally, it just it doesn't it doesn't work that way. (laughs) What does it do? It actually is a huge component in bringing back good hormonal health. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you you. can get, especially uh, coming from a heavy, heavy endurance routine where yeah. you're just kind of depleting yourself in a way. Mm-hmm. The strength training can come in and actually have the exact opposite result and restore and replenish all those hormones and you get the right amount of testosterone surge and all these other hormones that are not only going to make our bodies, you know, more ideal in terms of the composition, but also just make us look better, It'll make us our skin complexion, all that stuff look better, our hair look better, all of the above. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of added benefits to strength training. Plus, it just feels good to be strong. It doesn't feel good to be weak. Oh, yes. You know?
0: Right? But yeah, when I was running marathons, I was down to like 147 and generally and for the past few years I've been like a No way. Yeah. I've been 167. So, I can't tell you how good it felt to put that muscle back on. It's yeah. just something that fe- you feel more human. <laughs> Don't you? Yeah. And it's, like, you and can it's do totally stuff. true.
1: The first time I did it, I did a stand-up paddleboard race this year. And it wasn't because I didn't want you know, I wasn't looking for something to take place of what triathlon had given me. But I just kind of wanted to see what it was all about. And it was the first time I finished a somewhat endurance race. It was like an hour long. But I felt like I had this surge of hormones. All of a sudden, my body just felt like raw. You know, I could like hold my paddleboard over my head. And I just felt (laughs) so strong. Versus usually when I finish a triathlon, all I want to do is keel over and die, and I feel completely like depleted because I left it all out on the course, you know. And you know how that is going from marathons and all that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: (laughs) So you know, I think what kind of getting back to your original question though is like once you know, then you know, you say you do this process, you figure out what your formula needs to be, and everyone, you know, it's going to be somewhat unique. You retest, you see where you're at, you see how you're rebuilding yourself up, and I did this. Myself, you know, periodically retesting to make sure things are going in the right direction. Well, then, yes, how do you reintroduce exercise? Because it's not like you have to give it up forever. How do you reintroduce it safely? And my answer to that is, of course, to listen to your body, but we need to take a more moderate approach and not just jump back into intensity not jump back into setting the goal like what you want the end result to be like let the journey unfold as it will um so for me i took on a marathon an open marathon which i had only done a marathon in marathon and ironman at this point and my number one goal was to stay healthy through it so i did mm-hmm. a very unconventional approach to how i trained for this marathon and yeah i had the goal of qualifying for boston so i guess i did kind of have a little bit of that time goal on it True. but i knew based on like what my comfortable aerobic paces were, that it was a totally realistic goal. It's not like I was asking my body to go sub three in a marathon or something. Yeah. And so I trained in a way that even a couple of days, you know, a couple of times where I was scratching my head being like, Am I doing enough for this? Like, I know I'm healthy right now and I feel great, mm-hmm. but is it gonna translate to a performance that I want on race day? And it did, you know, and it was really Letting go of that drive and impulse to kind of be overly addicted to, ext- you know, you do a little bit of training one week, so you do more the next week and you keep mm-hmm. going with it, you know, and listening, like keep, be more even keel with it. So I like to use a method called the math method. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Okay, so it's by Dr. Phil Maffetone, who's Mm -hmm. become a great friend and my own personal advisor, so it's great. But it's 180 minus your age is kind of the basic foundation of it as in terms of what heart rate you need to use when you're training at. So for me, that was 150. So I did pretty much, I'd say 95% of my training for this marathon all at that MAF heart rate. Mm -hmm. And the idea being that you can stay healthy because you're not overextending yourself and dipping into too much intensity while still getting super efficient at that heart rate. And faster in the speed that you want to have. And now, yeah. the, the catcher with it though is if something's still going wrong in terms of health or whatnot, you're gonna find that your body's not necessarily uh, increasing in performance. So then we gotta hack away at what else is going on. What other variables could be taking a toll here? Is it your health that's, you know, or is your diet out of whack? So then we, that's where, again, like the fun part is like, it's not just about what you're doing in your training, it's about all of living that makes a difference.
0: So let's shift gears a little bit then and talk about diet, because I know that you've done some, I, I feel comfortable saying unconventional things as oh, yeah. it comes to, especially <laughs> low carb, high fat, plus endurance, pretty intense stuff. Can you talk about why that's good, why that's bad? There's definitely a lot of people who are asking about it recently, so I'm curious about your, your take on it.
1: Yeah, it's a fun, fun area of um, interest to me because there's just so much, you know, good, good information coming out these days. That's really challenging conventional ways. And I think early on, I sort of had the seed planted to know better than to just continually fuel on sugar. And I still bought into the goos and the gels and the sugar-based fuels, but I still wasn't The type of person who every 15 minutes, you know, would be slamming down gels and stuff just because it didn't really seem right to me. Yeah. And so when this idea of you know being able to train on less sugar and everything started to really kind of gain momentum, um, it was really intriguing for sure. And it's not that you you know at first for me it wasn't eliminating all sugar, but it was about better managing what you're putting into your body while you're fueling. And I think there's just so much good research, like we've done some uh, series on Endurance Planet looking into this, you know, there's finally actually peer-reviewed research going on looking at low-carb, high-fat diets versus more traditional, higher-carb diets Mm -hmm. in elite endurance athletes and, you know, going over the results of what all this stuff entails. And you know, there's some basic concepts of what comes from it. You obviously learn to be more fat-adapted and use fat for fuel, which spares glycogen, which means you can go longer, and what this also means. Is uh, other you know side benefits of things like you're not needing to fuel as much during a race. So you know this again from marathon training. I'm sure or at least hearing horror stories of if you're fueling too much, the GI distress. You know your right. body just cannot take in all that and expect to use it while you're now trying to you know be at race pace or whatever. So for the fat adapted athlete, it's it has that side. It's making me nauseous
0: just, just thinking about it. Oh right now.
1: God! Right? I mean. <laughs> How many times? Oh, yeah, it's nasty. So, you know, there's less fuel for racing. So therefore, less risk of GI issues and everything. Mm -hmm. Plus, I think the bigger take home or, you know, re-endorsement for it is just looking at things from a health perspective, not just a performance perspective. Mm So you'll see things like less inflammation in the body, the ability to jump back and recover more quickly from workouts, the ability to actually put on that lean muscle mass you know, not constantly being in a catabolic state. You know, you wanna really look at being at homeostasis as much as possible and not always on these fluctuations, what sugar tends to do. You know, you spike and then you crash, you spike and then you crash. Mm-hmm. And for the endurance athlete who needs to put in a good amount of time of training, this is a vicious cycle that we could get trapped in. Uh, so bringing that higher fat approach into it helps keep you, or it helps keep you more stable mm-hmm. throughout your training and your racing. And it's especially beneficial for endurance, you know, and it's especially beneficial when you're combining it with more of the moderate aerobic approach, which, you know, let's face it, anything over 90 seconds is technically an endurance sport. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so if we're looking to train your aerobic metabolism and, uh, you know, not being totally anaerobic all the time, and anaerobic is where you're going to be burning more glycogen and aerobic is where you want to be more uh, in your fat burning mode, then it only makes sense to, you know, combine that with Fat and as part of your dietary plan and not being a total sugar burner carb addict. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it it gets tricky though, you know. And even getting back to my own journey with this, when I first started kind of experimenting with with it around 2012 2013, then I didn't eliminate all carbs, nor did I ever go to the extremes of like a ketogenic diet. Yeah, I was still overtrained and overtraining so my body was not in a good spot and at that time low carb high fat I think actually made things a little bit worse for me
2: mm-hmm.
1: just because I was not in a good spot to begin with and I never really bashed it although I think I was kind of disappointed that something that seemed so magical and like promising was yeah. not becoming the solution to all of my problems at the time <laughs> and in fact maybe making me worse sure. but the be- I'm so glad that happened because come full circle, you know, getting good health back and whatnot and I'm pretty low carb these days. Um, I'm also definitely not training like how I used to and Mm -hmm. nor are my stress levels anywhere near what they used to be and low carb high fat is, oh, I'm thriving off of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not, again, it's not low carb to the sense of a ketogenic diet. It's kind of finding out what, you know, uh, how I can time carbs appropriately uh, to feel best and perform well in workouts. And then also, you know, what are my ideal ranges of carbs per day? And then within that, what carbohydrate sources work for me and which ones don't? So there's a lot of experimenting you need to do as an individual here. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's endurance athletes just really, really need to, I think, understand that more fat in the diet is only going to work for them, not mm-hmm. against them. And it's the carbs and the sugar that are actually proving to be more evil and detrimental to their health and performance. Yeah. But sadly, what that ties back into is the whole idea that sports marketing or sports nutrition companies that need to market their products, I mean, how are they going to make money telling people to go eat bacon? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> you can't really have like a bacon fat gel. In my I don't think that works.
0: Somebody will try.
1: I, yeah, maybe an after- here this, right? I'll taste it. <laughs> I'll I, w- I it. would too. I mean, heck, I save my bacon fat and use it for cooking, so, you know.
0: Yeah, for sure. But let's talk about your tinkering around with carbs and, and low carb, like you said. You're not yeah. necessarily dipping into ketosis, but you are controlling them, restricting them in some way. Which ones are good, which ones are bad? What would you find out?
1: Well... It gets a little complicated here too because I did actually also have another issue going on that I think stemmed from potentially, you know, more of a carb-based diet to begin with and some other things where I actually came I had candida for a while so a bacterial overgrowth and yeast mm-hmm. overgrowth in the gut. So that adds another dynamic of really having to monitor certain things and uh, certain things with sugar or you know fermented yeast-based products or whatever for me like I had to give up beer I used to enjoy beer with my fiance and now I just I can't even touch it which is yeah. fine cuz I feel phenomenal without it Yeah. So but it really comes down to then I think where these again these functional health tests can come into play. You can at least figure out cuz I didn't know I actually had a bacterial overgrowth until I tested for it. I I felt like I had the symptoms. I kind of had a clue but this came in and really set, told me what was exactly going on. And so then you have like, again, some ammo to work with here. Like, okay, so now looking at all the research, we know that keto is going to be, you know, anything 50 grams or less per day. And that's probably an extreme thing to do for an endurance athlete. I know Ben Greenfield did it when Mm -hmm. he was training for the Ironman world championships. I think it was 2013. And Let's just say he's not keto, or as as far as I know yeah. anymore. <laughs> um, and so then you look at things like, well, how can I achieve, you know, the ideal body composition, not not getting too big and putting on fat, and not getting too lean, where you dip under. You know, for girls, you don't want to really be less than fourteen percent body fat, and then you start running into some bigger issues there. Mm-hmm. So then tweaking these variables, and then also, you know, how you feel good and working out. So. Really, that's why I like the I the principles of either paleo or you know, your approach with like the whole wild diet and everything, you're looking at real foods, you just eliminate the processed stuff to begin with. And mm-hmm. for that matter, probably grains don't really have much of a place either. So of the whole natural occurring foods, you know, which ones are gonna be the best for you? So and this is where it gets kind of tricky too, because you know the paleo community and everything. Sweet potatoes, plantains. You know the, more of the starch-based vegetables definitely have their place. Mm-hmm. But for me, for example, I can't do plantains. You know, okay. i was kind of still recovering from gut health issues. Plantains. I love them, yeah. and it's fun to eat them. But they do not like me back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of got to do an experiment here. And I really, really am a fan of. People not getting too extreme with their diet, but still taking the time to do this like n equals one experiment on themselves. So, you know, mm-hmm. Phil Maftone again bringing up his name. He has something called the two week test, where you eliminate things for two weeks and then you bring them back in and test mm-hmm. for basically carb intolerance. But there's a million different ways to scan the cat. I mean, you could you don't even need necessarily a hardcore outline to do this. You just pretty much eliminate a lot of the carbs, whether drink or food sources. And then kind of bring them slowly back in one at a time to figure out what's a trigger food for you. You know, what makes you that's how I found out plantains didn't work for me because when it's sort of muddled in with everything else, you Mm -hmm. may not be able to pinpoint it. And then it's just sort of developing your plan around then. And then I'm a huge fan, especially these days, of the whole idea of doses. So Mm -hmm. it's not then say plantains don't work for me. It's not that I can never have a plantain again for the rest of my life. It's that I need to know what's my appropriate dose before things go bad. Yeah. And this also, I think, really translates into the real world and especially people who have maybe had anxiety or stress over freaking out over what to eat or, mm-hmm. you know, being afraid of gaining weight or whatever it is. You know, know that no matter what, if you have... Probably small, moderate doses of anything at any given time, you're going to be just fine. Yeah. But that whole like 80-20 rule, just know what's appropriate for you. So I know if I'm eating roughly around a hundred to two hundred grams a day, and that'll fluctuate a little bit with what my activity level is, and it's kind of in my list of my like safe carbs and whatnot, um, I'm perfectly fine, and you know I can still satisfy cravings for things like pancakes and stuff like that but make them using eggs and coconut flour and mm-hmm. avocado mm-hmm. versus the more traditional ingredients and that kind of goes into the idea that people sometimes too just need i you know just that idea of getting educated through cookbooks like yours you know you know how can we get more creative with these recipes and make them so nourishing and delicious for you and then instead of having to resort back to the same old you know white bread right <laughs> you
0: know? <laughs> Banana and peanut butter. I had a lot of that back in the day.
1: I know. Actually, we were crewing for the Badwater Ultra a couple of weeks ago and I did bring bananas and I had almond butter with it because there's really only so many portable foods you can bring on the road and it was kind of a good treat that I yeah. wasn't used to having on a regular <laughs> basis.
0: <laughs> so just, just a little bit more on the, the carb side of things, knowing everything that you, that you know now, where do you keep it? How do you, how do you measure it?
1: That's a good question, and so again, I think what we really need to be careful with here too is not over these mm-hmm. things too much, because again, I think if you're stressed out so much about how many grams of carbohydrates or macronutrient ratios to begin with that you're shoving down your body every day, that stress is going to do more damage than probably a high carb diet. Mm-hmm. Like it will trump whatever you're. You'd be eating the world's best diet, but if the stress levels are there, you know it's you're gonna not see what you want. Um, so if you have a healthy relationship with this journey and you look at it kind of like you're an experiment of one and you're just looking to optimize health and performance, there are several things you can do. And I I'm actually a bigger fan of, you know, food logging and tracking for a short period of time just to get an idea. Because mm-hmm. then I think if you go too far with it, it becomes another obsession that right. I, you need to be careful with. Plus it's just time consuming and there's better ways you could be spending your time. Yeah. So if you, you know, log for three to five days, kind of figure out where you are. You know, that's generally how you eat. You're probably going to be a fine. If, and, you know, see what your carb ratios are. How does that change with activity level? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of uh, high or more elite or amateur, it doesn't really matter, triathletes will find that maybe less than 100 grams of carbs a day is too low, but 150 to 200 is that ideal amount. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you are 400 grams plus a day, you're just going to feel bloated and nasty and sluggish and gross. Mm-hmm. So, you know, also kind of cheating it by going maybe overboard just to see how crappy you do feel if you do too much and then being able to dial in and then once you kind of have that number in mind, trying to learn to be intuitive with it without necessarily having to log and keep track of everything. Yeah. Another good way to do it is actually measuring your blood glucose,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I'm on the fence about doing religiously because again, it's, you know, another, but I think it's important. I think it can give us valuable insight without having to need, needing to go to a lab or anything. You can do this yourself easily. And, you know, you're looking to maintain anywhere between 80 and 90 at any given time. And you can test before, after you eat meals or even with your workouts and everything to see where you're at. And if, again, like I was saying before, like if you're constantly seeing these spikes and Dips in your energy levels and in your blood glucose and everything, then we know we have a problem that needs to be solved. Mm-hmm. And then you can take the measures to solve that. So uh, if you don't even want to go to the level of blood glucose monitoring, you can look at the signs, you know, when someone's hypoglycemic, for example, and like, or you know, you see a lot of athletes talking about being hangry. So yeah. not just hungry, but right. hangry. I need to get food <laughs> right now. And so that's not I mean I understand after an Ironman or something that's probably going to be the case no matter what. Sure. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to feel you don't yeah, right? You don't <laughs> want to feel like that after every workout. Like that's right. not that's not a good sign. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So we're running low on time, but before we go, it seems like you're talking a lot about stress as the enemy, mm. right? Yeah. What are some yeah. things that you do either in your training or in your day-to-day life that you find reduce that or mitigate it to some degree?
1: Yeah, this is still an ongoing journey for sure. Um, because being again, because you're being, a Type A like me, <laughs> exactly. And but the fact that we both are running our own businesses the way we do, you know, I sure. I don't know if you realize this, Abel, but our lives are actually extremely similar, very very similar. Um, you know, I just kind of you know following everything you do. I think that we have kind of similar paths and journeys and everything. And when you're kind of in charge of yourself like that, and you have you know this drive to kind of perform, whether that's in work or life or sport it's easy to get stressed out over what's not happening or what's not being done or that there could always be more that you could be doing and stuff. So I think it's about finding the things that are going to be your ability to change your attitude, perspective or unwind, step away. You know, for example, I used to be that person who jumped from one thing to another, barely even taking a breath in between. Mm -hmm. But like I was recording a podcast right before we got on the phone and thankfully the timing worked out where I was able to take 30 minutes to just chill. I took a shower, refresh, kind of reset my mind, you know, instead of just feeling like, Oh my God, I gotta get to the next one. And like, (laughs) just always kind of being on the go. I've incorporated yoga into my life and this started back in 2013. And that's been a huge, huge plus to just really turn off everything else and focus on the pose that needs to be done and nothing else in the world and just mm-hmm. feeling your body through that journey there's a side benefit of unlocking a locked up you know triathlete at that point too yeah, for sure. in terms of imbalances and lately even something like meditation has come into my life and' I'm, I'm slowly kind of adapting to this one you know I'm still finding struggle of being able to make time for that quiet time and mm-hmm. committing to it. But when I do, it's there's actual real benefit to it. And then last but not least, I think having activities that have no performance component are huge for people like us Yeah. because we still like to feel that adrenaline rush that high or just that for me, it's actually not even that as much as it is a connection with nature. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, living here in Laguna Beach, I'll get out on my paddleboard and an hour or two will go by and it'll just be totally in the moment and present and backpacking has also been one of those things. You know, I think the ability to disconnect from all the social media, the emails, Mm -hmm. you know, all the devices and let allow your brain to just take time away from that is huge. So those are probably my top things right now on stress management, but really what it comes down to is just attitude. You know, Mm -hmm. you have a choice, you know, you have a choice to be stressed out or kind of let yourself get all blood boiling and everything or not. It's (laughs) that easy.
0: (laughs) And for someone who has a background in doing endurance sports, I think you have a big leg up. I know I did getting into something like meditation because Mm. for so many years there, I was going out on a run, but I was really just kind of meditating. I was going through all the noise in my head, dealing with issues, working on stuff. Because you go out for a three hour run, there's not a whole lot to do generally speaking. You can't be looking at your watch the whole time. So
1: well, these days we have Fat Birdy Man or Nerds Planet to listen well, to. That's,
0: that's a good point.
1: <laughs> but I, I mean that's, that brings up a good point though because I actually I had a friend of mine just asked me this over the weekend. Tanya, are you always listening to you know your podcast or other podcasts when you're out running? And the answer is no. And how I approach it is what is my mood that day? There's yeah. certain days when I just feel like I'm a sponge and I just mm-hmm. want to download a million podcasts and listen to all of them on my long run.
0: Mm-hmm. There's other
1: days where I leave the phone entirely at home. There's other days where I want music and that music could range various different, you know, genres. What's um, your jam? <laughs> you know, it's so all over the place. <laughs> like everything, everything from like hardcore rock to like rap to, you know, more of like the reggae ska or even kind of like a sublime kind of band. I don't nice. even know what that would really be considered to classical music to classic rock. I mean, I like a actually probably one of my all-time favorite albums to listen to while working out is Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Wow.
0: Good call. So
1: random. And I actually built, I have to do this one again. I built a bike workout that perfectly aligns with the whole, no, how that whole album. I did. It's an <laughs> awesome workout. I have to dig it up. It's so good. And I, it's only 45 minute album. So it's actually a a relatively right. short workout but it's like it's just so powerful because you know as a music changing you're changing whatever you're doing on the bike it's good stuff <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds amazing i'm gonna have to try that well tony thank over. you so much before we go why don't you tell folks uh where they can find you and what you're working on now
1: all right so uh, i have a few things uh first of all the podcast is endurance planet i've actually been hosting this show since 2011 and we're putting out two to three shows a week all over the board like i said we have q a shows we also have special interviews, and we're also diving into cutting-edge stuff. Actually, Abel, you might appreciate the last one I just posted with uh, Timothy Noakes and Phil Maffetone on hydration and electrolytes. Cool. is pretty awesome stuff, and it's looking at things from a different perspective than we've traditionally been told. So Endurance Planet, easy to find. EndurancePlanet.com on all, all social media is the same. And then also uh, my coaching website is CoachTawnee.com, and it's T-A-W-N-E-E. I don't coach a lot of athletes, but I also do consultations for people who don't necessarily want the full-time, full-blown package. I don't do pre-written plans either. So it's either you hire me full-time or you consult, or, you know, that I can, find, that's, that's just how I roll. I don't do like kind of the in-between stuff. And then, like I said earlier, the blog is triton.com and that's, you know, you could dig in the archives and see race reports when I was still crazy into all the triathlon stuff and you can... <laughs> read how things have evolved yeah. so awesome. and then I'm on social media too so I'm, I'm really easy to find right on
0: well I think your journey is very inspiring to people who might be in the middle of working out or in a rut or you know at the top of their performance wherever it is it's always a journey and it's I think it's amazing to have people like you who are so open about it because that's Thank that's you. rare these days
1: Well, thank you so much for bringing me on the show. Again, I'm a big fan. I love what you're doing. I think everything, the information you're putting out is great, and I'm happy and honored to be a part of it.
0: Thank you so much. Well, we'll have to have you on again soon. Thanks again for listening to Fat-Burning Man. Don't forget, before you go, check out FatBurningTribe.com. If you have a question for me that you want answered about how to improve your performance, what to eat for dinner, how to drop fat quickly, how to improve your overall health, or anything else, we answer all of your questions there. So quickly, you can get the first month for just $1 for a limited time. Check it out at fatburningtribe.com. All right, I'll see you there.